All right, welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we are Ember Weekend. We're talking about some newsy type things today. I think we have some corrections actually as well, but we're broadcasting out of a bunch of different places. I'm in Providence and you're in Round Rock. Yep. Cool. How was DC? Uh, DC is pretty good. I got to like walk around the city a lot more this time. So took the train to the airport. That was a amazing. It's like 11 minutes to go from like the city <laughs> to like the airport. And I'm, I'm used cool. to like Austin times where that's like an hour long drive. Yeah, that sounds yeah, that sounds rough. That sounds rough for sure. But yeah, I guess uh, we're going to dive right in. This is episode 109. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hello, I'm Corey. And I'm Matt. Matt and I started our consulting company, 201 Created, five years ago. We've been passionate about Ember and its community since we started and are proud to be able to sponsor Ember Weekend. Our clients have included Fortune 50 companies and Y Combinator startups. If your team needs Ember training or advice or wants to learn how to make open source work for you, visit us at www.201-created.com or follow us on Twitter at 201-TWO underscore O-H underscore O-N-E. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, so the first thing we're going to talk about is actually a set of corrections from last week's episode. So in 108, we incorrectly, and this is this is totally on me, we incorrectly said that the Ember HPS minifier was a Babel transform, but it's it's not a JS transform, which is like obvious in hindsight. But I just saw the the AST, the visitor pattern, and I was like, oh, well, this is just a, you know, it's Babel, whatever, Babel. Blanket statement, it's Babel, but it's actually an HBS transform. So if you're if you're interested in looking around at that, you can learn more by going and actually checking out the source code. Thanks, uh, Tobias, for for mentioning that. And the second one we wanted to mention was the Glimmer Playground is not actually made by Netlify. It's like I guess they're hosting it, but it was originally it's like a port that Tom Dale made from the Preact JS REPL, and they're just kind of I guess hosting it there. Yeah, and and it's it's interesting. The repo we actually did search for it last week and we couldn't find it. And we should have just asked around, but we were trying to do some like on the ground research and we couldn't find the repo. And that is because it is actually under Tom Dale's account. So it's like Tom Dale slash Glimmer dash REPL, not Glimmer dash Playground. So that's partially why we couldn't figure it out. So yeah, if you want to check it out, you can check out the code. Although we've been warned that there's some, you know, like the code is still kind of whip, but you can check it out at Tom Dale slash Glimmer dash REPL. All right, the first thing we're going to talk about is a blog post by Matthew Beal on his website, which is madheaded.com. And this one's from a little little ways back. It's June 16th of this year, and it's about building a progressive web app with Ember. Yeah, and I remember um, I remember you doing a lot of Lighthouse work for, or, or ben- it's not benchmarking, like Lighthouse like scoring for Ember Weekend when we started doing the fast boot stuff. So this this basically kind of like is is a lot of that same stuff, but it's definitely more granular. And I think ostensibly he goes through how to get a perfect score with some configuration and add-ons exclusively. Like you don't have to write any of your custom stuff and you can get 100% on the Lighthouse for the progressive web app section. Yeah, and there's there's like four, you look at the thing, there's like four little circles that are showing you like your progressive web app score, your performance, accessibility, and best practices. I don't know if this one, I know some of them take into account like things like whether your JPEGs are they yeah, compressed. Yeah, yeah, they're compressed, but they load like partially. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, so they want they want like a viewport thing. And they also they also recommend that you use, I want to say it's like WebP or something, some other format for images. And I looked into it for my client project and it's supported in like just like the last few versions of Chrome. So it's like, eh, this is true, but like I can't actually do this unless, you know what I mean? The, the, the theoretical savings are, are, are big. They're very, they're very large. But 
I don't know. We 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 use Image Optum and my client project to optimize the, to like remove any artifacts that are unnecessary for the actual valid image. Yeah, and you know, so so this thing, you know, it's it's kind of a standard. A lot of people use this to see just kind of a quick gauge of like how mm-hmm. you know how you're doing. Like, are you are you absolutely terrible, or are you doing pretty good? You know, I mean, you're definitely, it's you know up to you whether. You want to listen, take all of the advice, and there's no real need to try and get a perfect score of 100 on all of them. And probably you can kind of fake it out. One of the one of the things that's in here is that you get dinged for having like nothing happen if you're like disconnected, like for not showing a, a page. But maybe you don't want to render the entire page. Maybe you just want to render like a splash page that says, "Hey, you're not connected," <laughs> and you know, doing that through like a service worker, and that's valid. Like that that gives you the points back. But is that really the best user experience for your app? I don't know. Yeah, it kind of it kind of depends, right? If you're a content-driven site, then you should display some content. But if you're like, I think all of these examples were actually outlined in a website called Shop Two Hundred One, where you can buy stickers. And yeah, if you're not connected, you can't buy stickers. <laughs> so, like, what do you do in that situation? I think they did opt into a, a splash page, like you mentioned. Yeah, and so so what this kind of blog post goes in in order of doing is basically starting out with a they give an example of the Shop Two Hundred One, but then they say, okay, now we're going to start with a brand new Ember app with just the welcome page. You know, like do the initial scoring, which it didn't score very great. I mean, I think was it was like thirty six for progressive web app out of a hundred. And so there was a, a list of things to solve. And basically, he goes through like how to like add, you know install a few add ons, and you get service worker, asset cache, cache fallback, which gives it like the offline support. And then he's like, okay, here's what our score is now. Now let's do some fast boot work. And then after that, he installs Ember web app. And web app is cool because it does the whole manifest stuff, so that somebody can like save it to their phone's like homepage is like as an app. And so that kind of does all that for you. And then he just deploys it to Roku and, you know, gets it. I think he gets 100 on that. And then the other ones are, are, are fairly good. They're all in the green. So, I mean, they're not perfect. There's some work to do. Obviously, this is just showing the welcome page. So it's not, you know, your app's not just going to score very great on, on performance and accessibility for this. But, um, you know, it scores pretty good for performance. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it's, it really is cool. And most of these add ons we've talked about on previous episodes, including Ember Service Worker. I think that's Dockyard and Martin Schilstra working on that. And Ember Fastboot, we've talked, oh my gosh, countless times on Ember Fastboot. The Ember Web App thing, that's actually kind of new to me. So, yeah, it's just cool. It's, it's cool that you see like the community providing solutions that are like, you know, really difficult to do outside of like community driven solutions, like actually making something server side rendered. That also has service worker that, you know, all of these things that you need to, you know, be a good progressive web app, they're really easy to do here and really, really hard to do outside of our ecosystem. So that's cool. I, and, I, and I like the I like the way that this blog post flows. So I definitely recommend checking it out. I think that there are there is a blog post or there will be a blog post about showing the similar style with with a Glimmer app, which should be really cool, too. Yeah, for sure. Because like I. Like at the bottom of this blog post, there's a whole section of, you know, how do you deploy this to Heroku? And I think that would be different for the, the Glimmer app because, you know, here you get to use like the Fastboot app server and, you know, there's the Ember build pack. So you kind of get a lot of stuff for free. So I'd, I'd like to see the difference between deploying a Glimmer app. And then I want to talk about new news on the Ember RFC 176, which is the new modules. Yeah, so um, if you're if you're used to the Ember CLI shims, which was like you know rather than just like pulling things off of the Ember the top level Ember object, you import things from like Ember dash array slash utils or something like you know you you go down and you get the things directly off of some something they exist on or something that they're exported to. That was like kind of going to be useful for tree shaking for various reasons. You if you if you just start pulling things off of the globals, there's no way that they can do tree shaking. So this was something that was started a long time ago, and there was there were shims for it. 
a lot of people use them. I mean, I've just recently been working on a project where we've translated to those shims. Those are now basically deprecated. I don't know if they're officially deprecated, but like with this being around, I definitely wouldn't use them because you're better off just sticking with the old stuff and then doing the work one time. Because the new way is to use the scoped packages, right? So like at Ember. So rather than doing Ember.a, you would say import a, like, you know, brackets a, from at Ember slash array. So it's a it's got a different path now. Like, so before you were just pulling off a global, now you're actually getting it off of this, this import. And if you already translated over to the shims style, which is the import brackets a from Ember dash array slash utils, they can translate that too. So that's that's good. You're not completely like hosed on that. But you know the I don't know the the actual reasons for for going this route, but definitely it looks like it has something to do with the Ember now being like an actual npm package rather than a Bower package that can take advantage of all the scope modules and stuff. So basically, the reason why this there's a specific repo we're kind of talking about here, which is this JSON data that exists for that because there's a whole bunch of mappings to go from one to the other. Actually, there's two things that can come from right. It can go from the global version or it can go from the shims style. That's used in like at least three different node modules right now. One of them being a code mod that actually translates it for you, which is great. The other one is there's a there's a linter rule that's called no old shims. So if you use it's like the Ember plugin for ESLint, you can turn this on. This is kind of a whip. It's still got a little wrench on it saying it's being worked on, but the idea is that it will fail if you're if you're using one of the old shim style imports. Right. Yeah. This is a lot of really cool stuff. The history here is a little complex, but I think they're making solid progress here, which is really cool. Yeah. And, and the, the really cool thing is that um, if code mods didn't exist, they probably wouldn't be able to make the change, right? Because the when the shims style came out, you had to do that manually. It was kind of like, you, you either kind of like, as you were adding new files, you were changing them. And then at some point you'd get around to the old ones because they both worked. You know, the whole time you're doing it, you're basically saying, I'm preparing for the future. I'm predicting that Ember is going to have this feature in like a year. And it turns out we were wrong. Like it, it, it wasn't there. But the good thing is that it really only changes like one line at the top of the files for each one. And so, you know, the, the idea that there's code mods that can just go in and fix it all for you now is just amazing because you don't really have to pay the, the price for it. And if the code mods didn't exist, they probably would have just had to stick with shims or something or the old style because it's, it's a lot of manual work to go in and, and change each of your files. And especially with the ESLinting rules, being able to tell you like, hey, this one's wrong. You can fix this one like a one-off thing. But hopefully the code mod can just fix all of them. Yeah, code mod is really cool. It's very interesting too. <laughs> That's a whole podcast could be written about that sort of thing. So oh, yeah. Anyways, yeah, so so check this out. We'll link to the new repo, the code mod, and all the other stuff. And then we wanted to mention a blog post by Jake Ferris called The Risk You Take When You Use Ember Computed One Way. Not uh, I guess that I guess that is kind of clickbaity. Is that a clickbaity link title? No, it should have been um five things you didn't think about when you used <laughs> Ember Computed One Way. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So in this blog post, Jake takes us through a lot of the computeds that Ember offers, which is is a, a good refresher, and then also kind of explains more in depth the one way one, which I think can trip up a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, he he actually presents a really good way to think about it, and he does it by kind of walking you through the standard ones, the ones that are, are kind of obvious, the ones that probably are used most often, like computed and alias. And he says, oh, you know, here's what computed does. We all we all know what well. Most people know what computer does. And there's all these other macros that, that get attached to it. One of them being alias, which is great because it can kind of eliminate the ability or the need to have to say like user.profile.first name. And you can just say first name or user first name or something on a, on a top level thing. 
but the alias is bidirectional. Like, so if you set it, it will set the thing at the lowest level. And if you get it and that one is updated, it'll get the newest one. So it's all, it's bound together. And then he says, basically, read-only is very similar, but you can't set. So it's designed to be like, I want to show some data, but I'm never going to set it from this place. And I want to actually throw an error if I set, because that's that's invalid. And one way is this weird thing that happens where, to me, it, it feels a lot like when you have a computed, and it's just a regular computed Git, and you do a set on it, and it would override it. And you'd have some weird bug where you're like, why is this computed no longer working? And you're like, oh, because there's one other place we're setting it. We're not, we don't have a setter on the computed so we're actually overriding the setter. That's what it one way feels like to me. And it basically can trip you up because it's for for when it first gets set up, it acts just like a read-only or an alias. It's bound to the thing that's under you know that it's pointing to. But then as soon as you set it, it you know breaks the binding and now just sets it right there. And now that's the only value it has. And it and it never gets reset up. And what what he was actually saying in this post was that that's sometimes can trip you up, but it's really useful in forms. I don't ever use it that way, but you know, I, I actually stay away from one way. But I can see how that that would be useful to basically say I want to initially populate the form with a value off of something. But when I when the user edits it, I don't want it to manipulate the one. I want it to just set it in the input, and at some point I'll I'll pull it off. Yeah, and I think I think you and I have talked about this uh, this pattern before, where we end up using proxy objects for forms usually. Or what is the what is the other the Elixir inspired? Oh, like change set, which is which is uh, or yeah, or we use yeah, or we use number change set, yeah, yeah. And and the reason why to me one way is a little confusing is that when you look at the code, I mean, if you know what one way does, you're you're fine. But if you if it's kind of iffy in your head, what one way does, one way looks like it's bound to something like user profile first name, and then when you when you first initially get it, it is user profile first name. But then the user edits something, and then now you look at user profile first name, and it's not the thing that you you just edited it to. I mean, all of a sudden it's it's broken. It doesn't really. It looks like a bug. And even though it you know has a very specific use case, so I don't know. It's the blog post goes into a lot of detail for it. I like the way it walks walks you through the most simple one all the way to the weird one, and then says why it's why it even exists because obviously there's a need for it or it wouldn't be an ember. And so it, it's a good blog post. So you should you know definitely check it out. It'll clear up kind of. I, I think it organizes some of the things in your head about how they're related. Yeah, definitely. So make sure to check it out. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. All right, and thanks for listening to the end. If you would like to follow along with Ember Weekend stuff, you can do so at Ember Weekend on Twitter, all one word, or you can find us on iTunes at Ember Weekend. And we also have a Slack channel, at Topic Ember Weekend. You can talk to us there. We've actually had some recent discussions with, with Locks that if you are within the sweet spot listening to this, you could probably go back and actually scroll up to the history, but you know, history is limited on the Ember.js community Slack. And there's more details about some of the shim stuff that we talked about. But yeah, definitely reach out. We, we really love to uh, have conversations and talk back and forth about uh, some of the stuff we talk about here. So be sure to follow there as well. And yeah, that's it. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we'll see you next week.